Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rossgem, and I'll be your host. Welcome back to Emerge Evolve Lead. My guest today is Nick Barrett, an entrepreneur who got into recovery five years ago and has started his own business. I'm going to let him tell you more about that and his journey along the way. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Maureen. It's great to be here. I'm really glad to, to meet you. We met, uh, well, on Podmatch, or your, your people found me. And it's really interesting to meet others. There's a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, that are in recovery now. And uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing more about your journey. So tell me a little bit about what your life is like today. Where do you live? What's your sobriety date? Anything you want to tell me about your business, what you do for a living? Yeah, um, five years into my five and a half years into my sobriety now. I'm currently still shacking it up with my parents here in Naples, Florida. So, oh, that's a nice place. <laughs> right. It's not a bad place to be. Not exactly where I thought I might be this far into my sobriety, but uh, that's mostly out of my choosing now. That is out of my choosing um, because I decided to start the business around. Uh, the pandemic time and uh, it seemed smart to not uh, pay extra money where I didn't need to. So, oh, um, yeah, yeah. And sometimes our parents <laughs> can really use our help too, right? Do you do that? Do you I've, help them out with I've, stuff? I've been doing a few things around the house too while here. Absolutely. Do a little property management for their rental house as well. So, oh, nice. Uh, Good. Trying to stay out of their way mostly. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So let's talk about your story and where you come from. Um, how, you know, what happened in your, in your past and how did you get into whatever addiction you did have? And tell us a little bit more about, you know, what happened and how you figured out you might be, um, you might have a problem. Yeah. My, my story is similar to many. I've heard it told many times, uh, across the rooms of AA, which is, one place I went early on uh, that helped me tremendously in, in, in getting my sobriety and my sobriety date is March 11th of 2017. And I haven't had a drink since the day before uh, March 10th when uh, I decided to go out driving and had uh, a run in with the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office for the third time in about five years, two times in Pinellas County. My first DUI was in North Carolina a few years before that. And uh, I had known for quite some time that I had a problem drinking. I just didn't know how to stop. And I uh, just kept going, kept going on and on. I mean, I think it's a, it's a common story. You know, uh, I, I knew very early on that drinking for me was different than drinking for other people. I think um, from my first parties in high school, I, as soon as I discovered alcohol, it was one of those things where it's like, this is me. This is oh. what I really needed. This is what everyone's been talking about. You know, this is the, it's the social anxiety cure for someone like me that has a you know great fear of judgment and is always worried about what other people are thinking about them. 
And so that, you know, that liquid confidence really did the trick for, for many years. Um, did you go to college? Through college, absolutely. I changed my major. I started out in engineering with you know, high math scores, and I'm currently designing products now and wishing I had that engineering degree to understand the you know, oh. mechanical engineering and industrial engineering and things of that nature. But um, I ended up changing my major because I enjoyed partying too much. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't get disciplined and focus and do my homework. You know, it seems silly, but calculus, if you don't, if you're drinking every night, it's pretty tough to do. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a, yeah, it, your, your brain is not wanting to think when you're, when it hurts, when your brain cells are being killed off every day. Yeah. It is yeah, and poison that, to that our brains. Of, yeah. That sort of thinking disease and that way of thinking just continued for me for a long time. Uh, whenever I didn't want to do something or something was uncomfortable to me, uh, I found solace in, in, in a drink and it's that ease and comfort of the first drink, as they say, that, that really gets, got me. And, um, I, you know, I found I couldn't put it down after many years. Um, I, uh, in the rooms and in other people I talk to, you know, I always say, you know, take what you like and, and, and leave the rest. Mm-hmm. And I like when other people say that as well. And I found that the best mentors that I've met so far aren't ones to push their opinion on you they're ones to help you and guide you on what worked for them and how to find what's going to work for you even if it's different than what worked for them um and so if anybody ever listens to anything i say that's one of the first things i say is look what worked for me may not work for you and so you know be willing to try different things and listen to different people but i would say the the first step of doing that is to just be honest with yourself. Um, yeah. And a lot of it is about, right. Listening too, right. Listening in the rooms. I, I tell people all the time, instead of trying to figure it all out, just listen, soak it up. So I want to go back though, for a minute. So it sounds like you had run in with the law and for the third time you had three DUIs and they, did they put you in jail? Did you, did you have to yes. go to trial? To, so let's hear about that pain. Cause that, did you get sober while you were in what happened? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, the, the first one, I got a slap on the wrist, um, lost my license for about 10 days in North Carolina and got it right back and, you know, swore I was going to change my ways immediately. And then within a couple months was again, you know, driving when I probably shouldn't have been. Um, I'm lucky enough to, and all of my uh, arrests, DUIs didn't result in an accident, but they, they certainly could have. And I, oh, yeah. I'm not proud of the times that I did that. Um, and I don't recommend it, obviously, to anybody. Um, and I'm very fortunate that that, that didn't happen. But um, remind me of your question. Uh, yeah, again, so I'm, I'm just wondering, like, what happened when you, quote, hit your bottom? Was it because you were... Did you go uh, oh, right. to jail? Was it prison? What, you know, how long was that whole process and what happened? Sure. I, after the third one, let me, let me step back one second. The second one, uh, I was threatened with a 10 day jail sentence and I had an attorney, uh, that got me off through a job, uh, essentially for having to spend a, a night in jail, uh, besides the, you know, eight hours or so you have to spend after they arrest you. Um, I remember my second one very clearly because for me, I wasn't incredibly intoxicated, even though I blew twice the legal limit. I think uh, if you're, uh, oh, I know. It's, it's amazing. 
we can hold a lot of booze at the end, right? Same with me. I remember, I'm going to tell you this really briefly. I was in San Antonio. I was living in Texas at the time. And I went to this all day, like Oktoberfest keg, you know, party in a village. Like it was a, it was a festival with all these people. And I drank all day, all day. I, I probably drank, I'm going to say 50 beers. That's what it felt like. Right. And it just went right through me. If I wasn't smoking pot or, or shoot, you know, doing shots, I could hold it. I could just drink it just like they did back in the day. I don't know what, anyways, what happened was I ended up driving the chief of police home because he was too drunk to drive. And I was the one designated to bring him home from my group of friends. And he happened to be in the midst of it, which was very not a good situation for me in the end, because I had to fight him off. It was very bad. But the thing is, you know, we, we build up this whole thing. And at the end, I knew that my resistance was not going to get any, you know, it was only going to go downhill from there. My, even though it was really high, my, you know, I could take a lot of it. So anyways, keep going with your story. So you're, you're now, um, you're not even that intoxicated, but you're definitely no, failed I, you're the test. Right. My tolerance was very high and I felt as if I was not intoxicated, but I was, and a DUI task force pulled me over. I just rolled mm-hmm. through a stop sign and I was ready to go home. In fact, I was asking them, may I take the breathalyzer so I can leave? And sure enough, they pulled me out of the car. I agreed to do the sobriety test. <laughs> they, fail- they failed me and they took me to the station. And Dang. I'll never forget, the, one of the officers looked like Keenan Thompson, who I think hosted, hosted the MC, uh, Emmys last night. And he looked me right in the face and he said, son, you have a problem. And uh, a few months later, was that the first crew. time you heard that? It was not. Okay. Uh, it was not the first time, but it was one of the first times where I sort of started to realize I wasn't in full control anymore of what was going on here. Uh, and a few months later, I continued to spiral down. I had tested the rooms um, and it, I ju- it just hadn't stuck and I wasn't ready. And sure right. enough, I needed to fall a little bit further. And on that third one, I was out of my, I was, I was really bad. I was definitely uh, uh, above the legal limit that time. I refused the breathalyzer and it was the same crew, as I mentioned, who brought me in oh. uh, to Pinellas <laughs> County. And they, they looked at me and they, I could see in their eyes, they felt sorry for me this time. The last time they were laughing at me because I was being defiant and saying that I wasn't intoxicated. And this time they could see in me, and they remembered me, uh, you know, those those men uh, and women that were there recognized me from just six months earlier and, and saw. Uh, I imagine I wasn't the first person that they've seen multiple times for this yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, so, it's a progression for sure. I did go to jail. I did spend uh, 40 days in jail for that third DUI. I am lucky that that's all it was. I know people in different states spend upwards of many years behind bars for a third offense. Yeah. So you get 40 days and then you got out. Did you have to go to trial and did you have like probation or what? Before then, I was uh, monitored with an alcohol ankle monitor in order to be released from jail oh. off the third DUI. And so I actually wore that for about four months before I spent a day in prison, I think in, in jail. And that was one of the reasons I think my sentence ended up being so light 
um, I started serving my, you know, my 40 day sentence um, on the day of the, of my actual trial. And so when I went to my trial, I had successfully completed four months of sobriety because of, for those who don't know, the alcohol ankle monitor can sense alcohol from your pores. And uh, awesome. it, I literally had to sleep with it on. And wow. I, you know, I looked up how I could beat this thing because I was curious. I was uh, submitting to trying to get sober at the time, but I still wanted to know. And uh, I also wanted to know what were the risks and hazards of it. And so if you spill, if you spill alcohol on your leg, that will, you know, it'll make it go off. So you have to have a story about how that happened. And um, I have wow. one story. That's about- alcohol prison right there. That's like, yeah. you can't drink or you'll have nope. to face the consequences. Well, it's just yeah. real consequences, right? So before they're all, they're just made up in our heads or, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're very real when they happen, when you do go to prison or you do have end up in jail physically. But when you have an ankle brace, it's the same thing. Like some people, I, I knew a, 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 a woman in my club, she had a breathalyzer to start her motorcycle. She had a breathalyzer to even start her car so that if there was any kind of thing, she couldn't drive, the, 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 the motor wouldn't turn on. Have you heard of those devices? I just got mine removed about oh. a month and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I okay. Had a, so one of the in, in Florida, one of the penalties is you lose your license for two years and then you've got another two years where you have to have the breathalyzer on your car to start it. And it's annoying. Okay. Uh, you've got to do it to start it. You've got to do it three minutes later and then you've got to do it every 20 minutes while you're driving. And there's a camera in your car now to film you to make sure that it's you that's actually blowing. You're not handing it to the passenger oh, or someone in the backseat. Oh, yeah. So they, we, know how to, we know how to screw the system. <laughs> they're finding every way to make sure people aren't, you know, gaming the system. And so until very recently, actually, if you, you know, if you look at it, I've had probation, alcohol ankle monitors, car monitors, and uh, recently being released from, um, you know, things like probation and then, uh uh, also, this this breathalyzer just a month and a half ago, it's actually been in my five years, the first two months where the legal system hasn't been following me around, making sure I don't drink. So Wow. Uh, so you know, before I, you go on, before you go back to your story, I need to ask you this question. Now you are free from all of that. How is your mind? Are you free from alcohol? Have you have you entertained the thought of drinking in the last two months? What have I entertained? That's a tough question. I think as an alcoholic, your mind will always entertain the thought of drinking here and there. Uh, and it's up to you to play the tape forward and know how that is going to go. Indeed. Um, looking back, I think if I were to leave, if I were to speak about one really important lesson that I've learned, it's that uh, alcoholism and addiction in general, in my opinion, from what I can tell, is not a drinking disease or a doing drugs disease. It's a thinking disease. This is a disease of the mind. I think the point is that this is something that um, with help from our peers and with learning and opening our mind, being honest, open, and willing, we can cure and solve. And by cure, I mean we can live free of the persecution that alcohol and drugs put us in when we're in active addiction. Yeah. It's a symptom, right? So that's the way I describe it. Now, um, drinking is just a symptom of a, 
of uh, trying to escape in some way or form. And we do become addicted to it while we're on it. And the, the point is not to go back on it because it could easily suck us back in again. Cause it does, you know, there are things that trip off in our brain in our body biologically. However, that symptom is um, eradicated by getting into recovery, which is a long and sometimes painful process of living life on life's terms, right? So tell us, how did you, how did you fare that first uh, year in sobriety and what happened? It's as if you asked that question knowing the answer already. Um, <laughs> well. And I, I, I suspect you do because let me tell you, uh, you know, as thankful as I am and as uh, much as I've improved today, five and a half years later, ooh, that first year, um, you know, it's, I stopped drinking when I was 30. And I, I believe that, you know, young men in particular, our minds really are still developing throughout our 20s and 30s. And so I had spent a lot of that time drinking and not developing my mind, not growing my mind. So it took some time. In fact, years, I would say, uh, two years to two and a half years, really, uh, if I look back at it, to get out of most of the unhealthy, bad thinking habits that had existed in my head for so long and had created a pattern of thinking that took uh, an incredible amount of sort of opposite behavior to change. Yeah. Um, a, 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 a philosopher today that I listened to says that if you practice lying 20% of the time, that you will train yourself to believe your lies 20% of the time. You wonder how people start to believe their own lies. It's because they start lying to themselves more than 50% of the time. Mm. And that becomes the normal. And right. so they really struggle to separate truth from fiction, even to themselves, I think, because they practiced this behavior for so long. And so it takes us a while to practice and it took me quite a while to you know, practice getting out of not just unhealthy thinking habits um, about drinking, but unhealthy thinking habits and then uh, actions and behaviors at other things that I was doing in, in the rest of my life. And so that's been a constant process and you know, today it's not so much about not drinking for me anymore because my mind does go there. But I think the big difference is that what happens is uh, because I practice these healthy thinking habits, I arrive at the solution and the real answer sooner than I would have before. And so before I end up at the liquor store or before I start doing something that I know is unhealthy, I've already thought my way through why it's wrong because I've learned those behaviors and those healthy, correct thinking habits. And um, over time, you know, truth, I think, does bubble to the surface, whether you want it to or not, you know, that well, denial does go away. Yeah. And, and the thing about that is like when you're sitting in AA meetings and you go every single day, I don't know about you, but I went every day for years and years and years for, for like seven years. I just went every day and you do, it is a little bit, a kind of a, I hate to use the term brainwashing, but it does cleanse your brain and your thinking and it gives you all kinds of new um thoughts positive and you get examples from everybody else because you're sort of 
um, not forced to listen, but you are, you can't talk the whole meeting, right? So you're listening to all these different perspectives and people from all walks of life and all kinds of people from everywhere. We learn to really value that diversity so much more and we get the, you know, the what if. So maybe that didn't happen to me, but if I go back out, that could easily happen to me. You hear all those stories and, and anyways, but it tampers the fears once you get those tools, right? And the thing that you also said was um, you think things through to the end, but the, the, that doing that work, I don't know about you, but on the steps really helps you to clean up some of that past. And then you step into being with all these other people who have such higher level vibrations because they're living in joy and gratitude and happiness and love. And, and one of the things you said uh, about honesty is really important too, because I think in the, in the big book somewhere, it says, um, you know, it's the promises except for in the beginning, how it works, except for those who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And it's just practice. You have to retrain your brain. And I think everybody does. I don't care if you're an alcoholic or not in your twenties, you got to figure out what was I programmed with in my family that doesn't serve me anymore. How can I redo that? Right. So that's what I help people do some, some of the time. All right. So Nick, so now you're sober, you, you're get, you're getting the program, you're retraining your brain to think, tell us a little bit about um, your career now and what were you doing before you got sober and what were you doing after? And how did you get into this um, business that you're in now? Sure. Um, I had a couple odd jobs, my first year of sobriety and, and until I started this company, and I think uh, that's what I needed. I needed to jump around and start uh, and, and focus on me and myself and my mind for a lot longer than I thought and not worry too much about my career. Um, you know, it seems like. Uh, you just got to put state. yourself first, right? You really do in the beginning. You have to put yourself first. Putting yourself first to what you have to do, I think, isn't always putting yourself first to what other people want you to do uh -huh. and what they think will make you happy. Um, you know, I was raised in a get a corporate job, um, save for retirement, um, you know, and I'm just not a traditional kind of person. So, yeah, I had this idea for Cord Brick in 2015 and I was still drinking then and I looked into it a little bit and of course I never followed through it. Um, I, you know, I found some other job working for someone and I went to that and I, you know, I didn't see it, see it through. And, and after the pandemic started and uh, I had a job end and I just thought, you know, I need to make something. I need to create this and I need to see what will happen. I need to see it through. No one's done it. It's been a period of time and I want this product. So I decided to make it. So I didn't know that it would turn into what it is today, sitting down and doing podcasts and having articles written about myself and selling on Amazon and things like that. But uh, well, before you go further, you got to tell our listeners, what is Cord Brick and what did you actually create? That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? So Cord Brick <laughs> is the first cord multi-tool, I call it. Um, the way I'd relate it to people is, you know how you're in bed and your phone cord's always falling on the floor. Well, that's why I created Cord Brick. So it's a cord weight 
it's kind of what it sounds like. It's a rectangular shaped weighted silicone brick with cord channels in it. And you pop your phone cord in there and you could put it on a nightstand. You could put it on your bed sheet. You can organize many cables and phone chargers and AirPod cords on a desk um, and counter and many other places. So what's unique about it is it's the first traveling cord management tool. So it's meant oh, to hold nice. your cords in reach on daily use and keep them organized and keep your workspace clear too. And then you can wrap cords. And when you get to your destination, they come unwrapped, untangled. Plus it's got great uses with your phone. So there's a lot to it. And it's one small little item that I think makes a great gift. Uh, we sold tons last year as stocking stuffers when I started selling it person here at the flea market. And we've continued to sell many through our website, cordbrick.com this year. And I just got the product on Amazon last week. We shipped awesome. in our product so they can be on Amazon Prime really soon. Very, very good. Awesome. All right. So now you just, you so you created this thing. You had to figure out manufacturing and all that. So you're the CEO of your company. Um, do you have uh, people that are working for you at this point? Or do you farm out all the manufacturing and everything? Sure. So right now I'm pretty much just delegating to subcontractors yeah. and paying people by the job. I do have some people that have done work for me over and over again in different areas, branding, web development, graphic design, design, manufacturing, things like that. Um, I've got, a, I've got business coaches, I've got advisors, mentors, uh, people that have been with me, some of whom I pay, but I wouldn't necessarily call those people my employees yet. Um, I hope to hire, I do, I do have a social media intern that I just hired, uh, my cousin, and uh, I hope to hire another social media intern. I've got a videographer we work with. So lots of different people that are doing different jobs for me, but right now it's just me. Well, it isn't because we're, you're, you stepped into leadership. You are leading a whole bunch of people towards an end, a vision that you have and you, that you've created. So tell me, what do you think is, are some of the things that you learned in recovery that lend itself to leadership that you can use in your leadership abilities? So many, uh, really hard to make a short list of these things. So please stop me if I go on too long. The first one would be acceptance. Um, you know, no matter how much you want the world to be the way that you want it to be, if it's not that way, it simply isn't that way. And if things don't work the way that you hope that they work, they just don't work that way. And so I think getting through that first stage of denial for me is really tough. You know, my mind wants to rationalize why things should or shouldn't be the way that I want them. You know, there's the acceptance paragraph on page 417. One of my favorite paragraphs is actually the paragraph after where they talk about how Acceptance. the world's a stage and if, if and I'm Shakespeare and if only the players would do what I told <laughs> yeah. them to do, the play would be just perfect. Right. And so it really feels that way as an I entrepreneur know. a lot of times, you know, if, if people would only, you know, make the marketing and the videos and the, the designs and the product and the manufacturing, if everything would just go the way that if everyone would just see it for what it is, everything would be perfect. And, you know, that's not the way that the world works. Uh, everyone has a different perspective. Um, everyone's not like me and um, people do things differently. And so I think just getting to that second stage after the denial quickly and moving forward has helped me with indecision. You know, I'm, I'm a perfectionist and my mind wants to give me all kinds of reasons to procrastinate and not do things. 
uh, out of wanting to do them perfect. And uh, that's a BS response, I mm -hmm. think, is what yeah. I've learned. You need to move on and you need to take action. And if the action is the wrong action, well, hopefully you'll learn better next time. You learn um, from it. Yeah. You, you yeah. more, you shift and grow, but I really like that first one too, because acceptance means, um, not resisting reality. Right. I'll, I'll give you a second one too. And that's doing what I say I'm going to do. Um, so I've that's started like to authenticity, dependability, reliability, consistency, Okay. In, keep going. Yeah. When, uh, when you lose everything, I've learned that the last thing you have left before you die is your word. Yeah. If you tell people you're going to do something and then you actually do it, they can rely on you. And when you have everything stripped from you, that is one of the last things that you have left. It's and trust. so as right. And so as a base, as a base level, uh, what I've learned is that that doing that for not just other people, but for myself, from someone who has had extremely low confidence in my life, that has done more to raise my confidence and build my self-esteem, knowing that if I tell myself something's going to happen, you better believe that it's going to happen or I'm going to move heaven and earth to make it happen, right? Um, I don't make excuses for myself and not doing something like I did before. I used to rationalize and talk my way out of everything. Oh, and yeah. now I really give myself a hard time when I find myself trying to talk my way out of commitments. And so I found that that's been extremely valuable in every aspect of relationship building, getting people to trust me with my product, with my job, uh, with you know, all aspects of the company. And then, yeah, of course, there's personal relationships. And that that boils down to the word that I would use there is self-discipline. We have so much more self-discipline in sobriety um, than we did, you know, back in the rationalization and justification phase. Right. And so, but yet we also have free will, spontaneity. You know, I, I always say it like this. I like to create a plan and then uh, follow it as best I can. But I am flexible because if you're going to accept reality, sometimes you have to like, okay, this can't do this today. We're going to do this instead. Or let's just have, let's just forget everything. We're all a little burnt out. Let's go to the beach. Or, you know, those are the things that you can do sometimes for the good for, to, to put yourself number one, to make sure that you don't get burnt out. I think a lot of people, myself included in early sobriety, get tripped up on the acceptance and uh, the willpower thing. Um, you know, the serenity prayer is extremely powerful. And uh, the part about wisdom is extremely useful. Yeah. You know, what you just said to me um, is don't have expectations, but still make plans. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. even if your even if your plans don't go to plan, that's that's OK you can still re you can still change and react and so what i find with that is road rage doesn't happen to me like it used to because uh, okay. i don't have expectations of someone whether they're going to cut me off or not and when they do i immediately go to oh well i didn't plan it i didn't expect it but it happened and so i'm dealing with it and that's it and it takes the anger away from me you know i used to think that i didn't have willpower either but boy was i wrong what I found with motivation and things like that is motivation doesn't come before you start doing something. You have to start actually doing it to develop the motivation. That's the very true. Willpower, 
The same thing with willpower and discipline I found is true. It's not that I didn't have discipline and willpower. It's that I hadn't started implementing a system and a program to create it. I was lost and I hadn't begun. So I think that taking action and beginning uh, and then taking each step of the way. Now I work until 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night and stay at home and work on the weekends and don't watch TV. And if you had told me that this is how I would behave and act and be happy with it and happy with myself and enjoying my life over five and a half years ago, I would have said, you're absolutely crazy. This is there's no way that that is me in the future. It's because you're enjoying it. All right. So tell us, um, and then we're going to, we're going to probably wrap up in just a few minutes here, but I would like to hear what is your morning routine, Nick? What do you do when you wake up in the morning for, for yourself and to get ready for the day? This is a great question. I've changed from a night person to a morning person since being sober, becoming mm -hmm. sober. Yeah. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why that is, uh, except that I have, um, I also have changed my diet and my health habits as well. So I think possibly what was happening was I was not getting very good sleep. In fact, I'm sure that that was happening when I was an active alcoholic. I was passing out for years. I had to remember how to fall asleep again. Um, at first they tried to put me on medications. Now I use ASMR, which many people are probably familiar with to fall asleep. And it helps me tremendously stop my mind from just running right before bedtime. And so getting to bed at a reasonable hour, um, when I wake up, I get light uh, as soon as I can uh, and I start moving. And the other thing I do is I actually intermittent fast. Um, I usually don't eat until about three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, some people can do that healthy. Some people, you know, maybe not, but um, for me, it's been able to work really well and it's, it's helped me to regulate my, uh, my energy. I feel like a lot better. Um, and I've also changed my diet in doing so, uh, cutting out a lot of carbs and that's just a personal thing for me. It doesn't always work for everybody, but, um, it's worked tremendously for me in keeping up my energy and, uh, shortening my eating window. And so I don't eat before I go to bed, usually three hours or so. And that usually helps with my sleep. Uh, I also work out. So, you know, I just let, just, you know, having that healthy mind, I think it's the program of AA, you, you mentioned this earlier. It just ruined drinking for me. Totally. It ruined doing unhealthy things for me. Now That's I love good. myself. I want to right. do good things for myself. I can't possibly, <laughs> if I do bad things for myself, I have to stop, you know? So it's great. Um, and so working out is part of that too. Okay. So it sounds like you get up in the morning and work out and then you're pretty much getting to work. I want you to put some meditation in there <laughs> somewhere, Nick, because um, yeah, that learning to really control your thoughts and focus on your intentions for the day, such a fantastic practice. All right, Nick. So we are going to wrap up now. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we go and then remind them where to find you and cord brick? No, but um, thank you so much uh, for having me on. And I really appreciate this opportunity. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, please check out cordbrick.com. Follow us on at cordbrick on Instagram, Twitter, and other social medias, Facebook. Um, uh, and uh, check us out on Amazon. Uh, and Definitely. again, thank you very much for what you're doing, Maureen. I really appreciate this and uh, the opportunity to come on your podcast. Thanks so much, Nick. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. 
You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learn in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters.